Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. So this episode, I'm joined by Francesca Cassidy. She's deputy editor of Raconteur. She's also been acting managing editor before her current role. And before that, she's coordinated content in startups and has worked for a digital marketing agency and, of course, been a freelance journalist. So welcome, Francesca. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it is, because we had your colleague, the previous um, editor of Raconteur on, Ben, about two, three years ago. And you tell me that Raconteur has changed quite significantly since then. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about the publication, how it's put together, etc. Tell me, just give me a top line overview, first of all, of raconteur, any regular slots or pages or sections that, that you either commission for or write for? So we're probably best known for the special interest business reports that we publish in the Times and the Sunday Times. And they are still a huge, huge chunk of what we do. Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about print being dead, but that's not really what we found at all. However, uh, as we've grown, and particularly since the pandemic, we have tried to expand our offering beyond that. So we've really been building up our online website and publish content specifically for that. Launched lots of new series. So we have a new series called Going Against the Grain, which is looking at businesses that are taking novel, innovative approaches to work. So there's the company that bans Zoom meetings or companies with totally flat structure. Um, and I personally oversee our series, How I Became a, which is such a fun project for me to do. I get to talk to people who just have really cool jobs so I've spoken to an ethical hacker and I've spoken to a futurologist. Um, yeah, we're also going to be launching some regular columnists who are sort of experts in different industries. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> wow. So those um, slots that, you know, how I became it, does that go into the special reports only or does that go into your online? No, they're purely for online. They're just for raconteurs audience. We, um, we launched a registration wall back at the end of 2020 and we have been given these amazing insights into the people that read us and we get to start working out what really makes them tick a lot of the new content that we are that I'm commissioning and writing and that we're publishing is geared totally to that online audience rather than the specific times audience that is really exciting actually so I do want to hear more about that but before I do can you just tell me about the audience so because I think of raconteurs traditionally as being the pullout that was inside the times or I think of it as being the times readers and um, but obviously you have this new online audience so just tell me who they are yeah, so I would say that the reason that Raconteur is such a natural fit for The Times is because The Times has this huge business audience. And that is very much the audience we're still going after. They tend to be C-suite, director level, heads of teams, people really at the top of their game in business. But our online audience tend to be the kind of aspirational section of business leadership. So people at manager level who are working their way up to the C-suite. But we can also see now the kind of topics they're interested in. So a lot about the future of work, about HR, 
are obviously anyone who runs a business will know about the great resignation and the challenges that that's posing. We can tell that that really resonates with the audience we have online so we can tailor content to that. And yeah, and we've, we've noticed also there's a huge interest in sustainability, which we wouldn't necessarily get that oversight from a print product. So it's really exciting to have this level of insight that we can start tailoring our content to. So do you have in-house writers now? Because I know when Ben came onto this podcast, the previous editor, a few years ago, he said you used only freelancers because a lot of the content that you had for Raconteur was sponsored. Um, so has that changed? Well, we still rely on a huge bank of incredible freelancers. We have about 180 on our books and they're still absolutely vital because our special reports are such specific topics. We wouldn't be able to have that resource in-house to have a healthcare specialist and a finance specialist and a tech specialist. And, you know, this, that industry insight is still something we really need our freelancers for. But we are beginning to build up an in-house team. We have a fantastic staff writer called Sam Forsdick, who has been writing a lot of this new content for the online site and I write for the site and our managing editor Sarah Vizard writes for the site but we are going to be building up that team and bringing more writers on board so it's a busy time. <laughs> yeah so tell me um, how the planning process works you know is there a planning meeting how many people are involved in that and, and how, what what is the commissioning process? So the commissioning process for special reports is overseen we have a, a reports editor who is in charge of the the overall commissioning process for special reports his name is ian deering he's very talented and he will run the meetings very much like ben used to that we have a a mini commissioning where we talk about the themes for any particular report and there tend to be two or three people in that and then the wider commissioning meeting will come after we've sort of um, asked our freelance journalists for their own pitches there will normally be a minimum of two editorial staff in any commissioning meeting, a member of the commercial team and uh, their manager normally so that we make sure that we keep a really great balance of editorial and advertorial interest. So I know what the ratio that we go for is 70% independent editorial, which is completely driven by the editorial team and has no commercial. And then there is 30% of sponsored content, which will be editorials and display advertising. So the commissioning meetings for special reports tend to be a bit more of a broad church. Um, in terms of the content that we come up with for the site, uh, that is purely an editorial project. So it will be our managing editor and myself. It will be our staff writer. And we have a fabulous digital content producer who will turn all of the content into brilliant, beautiful illustrations for the website and for um, social media. So the ideas for online content tend to be more driven by what's happening in the news and also sort of things that we hear from PRs. It's it's a much more dynamic newsroom-esque style of coming up with content. Yeah. And is that weekly, that meeting or daily? Weekly. Okay. So what is the most typical way then that, say, people pitching a story uh, that you might be able to use that? Would there be scope for opinion pieces or interviews or, you know, what, what are the opportunities really for pitching in? In most of the features that we write, we, we source expert opinion. So either Sam or staff writer will do that. And again, our freelancers often pitch us ideas just for the site rather than special reports. So in those cases, it's often there will be expert opinions and they will often come through PR pitches to the whoever's writing it themselves there is also we do have we do have feature interviews and those will normally come through uh, PR pitches 
based on specific series that we're doing, that is most likely the way that we'll succeed. Press releases tend not to have much cut through because we don't cover the news. We we may use the news as a, a hook into a feature and we do try and keep everything that we write as timely and relevant as possible. But in terms of being featured in a piece of raconteur editorial, it's normally best if people have done their research and, and pitched someone specifically for how I became a, or a business leader for a company that's doing something really innovative for going against the grain. And yeah, people with big names and interesting stories we are trying to do more profile interviews so so that's often uh, a really good way to do it yeah so how reactive you say you're you know you mentioned you are a little bit news led how reactive are you and and do you ever run evergreen type stories I mean, yes, Evergreen is absolutely crucial for us because we simply don't have the resource at the size that we're at to be able to turn things around like a newsroom would. But also a lot of the issues that businesses face are Evergreen and we always have to keep that audience in mind. But having an in-house team and a writer that works purely for raconteur and isn't held to the special report calendar has meant that we can be a bit nimbler. So we're writing articles about Ukraine, um, when the gender pay gap reporting data came out on Tuesday, we could write a piece based on that. So we have a bit more flexibility to keep up with things that are really going to capitalise on attention um, based on what's in the news. But yeah, evergreen content is still absolutely crucial. We, we couldn't publish the volume that we want without having content that has a good shelf life yeah so how many stories roughly a day are you putting out uh that really depends we still use quite a lot of our content from special reports i would say on an average day there will be two to three pieces going up on the website every day that's new and that will be a mix of content from the special reports and things that are being written in-house okay okay and so those stories those if say something hasn't come in as a pitch from a pr which i would imagine that's a low percentage of just stuff how do you get a sense of um what you'll cover or what will make a good story do you use like keyword you know google trends and stuff like that or do you have a specific way of chasing stories we tend to have different streams we do publish seo driven content i wrote a piece fairly recently about innovation strategies because we saw that that was getting a lot of buzz around particular keywords we use semrush which is an seo platform that is sort of one stream and those are more likely to be the evergreen pieces So we really want them to get as much organic traffic as possible and to sort of stand the test of time. Um, We like to try and find a human element in all of the stories that we do. So business journalism, I think, can often have a bit of a reputation for being dry um, or overly technical. But there's almost nothing that happens in business that won't have a trickle down effect to real people. So I think really great stories are ones that will impact any reader beyond a a specific business audience. So we always try to look for a little kernel of humanity. Otherwise, I think just things that worry people. (laughs) So, you know, pandemics, economic downturn, the great resignation, just anything that uh, that keys into people's worries that we can give some clarity or some insight into Mm -hmm. uh, is, is a a way we want to go as well. But also with a business readership, we try to make sure that we publish lots of articles that have practical advice in them. Yeah, it's a broad mix of approaches that we take. But I would say a great story is one that challenges people, offers help and inspires. Yeah, great. That's really, really helpful. So let's talk a little bit about pitching. Do you receive a lot of pitches? Yes, thousands. (laughs) Thousands a, a week or a day or... 
Uh, well, thousands is a bit of an exaggeration. I would probably say I get 10 to 15 PR pitches a day. And when we get pitches from journalists, the bulk are still for special reports. So they're more tied into how busy the calendar is. If we have a lot of reports coming up, we could expect 100 pitches a week from journalists. And in quieter times, that will be less. But yeah, PR pitches, 10 to 15 a day, I'd say minimum. <laughs> so what stands out on what goes straight to the delete bin? I think the absolute golden rule personally is personalizing it. I think a sign that a PR has not only looked at what raconteur is as a business, but what we're doing right now. Although, like I mentioned at the beginning, print is still absolutely a, a golden revenue stream for us. And a lot of companies and thought leaders want to be in print because of the prestige. We are doing so much more exciting stuff beyond the special report. So simply getting in touch to say, I have a banking client and you're doing a banking report. Those tend not to get that much attention because we want to know that someone's done their research and, and is getting in touch with us because we're doing something special and unique and that they have somebody special and unique that they represent or a special and unique story that they think will be a good fit. So I would say having done some research and showing that in an email, press releases, because we're not news based, they do tend to go straight into the bin. <laughs> and it's terrible because I know people spend a lot of time and effort crafting something that's going to be as punchy and as engaging as possible, but they're simply not a good fit for us most of the time. We're less interested about what a company might be launching or doing and more interested in what makes the people that make up the company tick. So a press release is straight for the bin normally. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't, as a PR agency, we don't do press releases just as a rule because for that reason, I think they're quite old fashioned and, and don't really do anything. So have you got any other pitching no-nos? Using RE at the beginning of your subject line. That will not fool me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always surprised at how many of those I get. Also, getting my name wrong happens a lot. I've had lots of, dear Emma, dear Faria, or, or even just dear editorial person. I know that there are lots of editors who will have horror stories about relationships with PR people, but it is they're absolutely fundamental. We only get great stories, and all of my best interviewees have come through PRs. It's an absolutely symbiotic relationship, and a relationship, I think, is the key word. You really need to be able to build connections with people who represent the people you want to talk to. It's just, yeah, you need to be able to to build that relationship through your emails and getting somebody's name wrong is just a big no-no for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. So what about um, any great pitches? I was thinking about this and actually I think two that stand out. One was quite recently for our How I Became a Series and um, the particular PR had clearly researched what we do. They'd noticed we were doing a new format. It was still fairly new at the time. We only had uh, two stories up and this woman sent me a press release saying, how I became an ice cream engineer. And that was that was the headline, that was the subject line of the email and I was hooked. And she had thought about the right person to pick. She thought about somebody with a cool job title, but also an interesting story. She knew that this particular person would make a great interviewee and it, it showed a level of thought and research that I really appreciated. And it fit the format. Yes, exactly that. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't in line with anything that this particular ice cream engineer was launching there was no ulterior motive it was just a great story um, and I think really good thought leadership is about that where you don't need to talk about the company or the kind of traditional headline grabbing bits of news you can talk about the fact that the company is being run or that this person has an interesting job and they're a, a skilled individual and that in itself is an interesting story and that is enough and that it doesn't need to be tied to any particular launch of a product or a new project yeah yeah that's prompted a question is it better so this pitch had clearly 
pitch for the how I became a section is does that help when people pitch and they name the section they say I think this could be great for x or this would be great for this vertical that might be on your website does that help or is that a bit presumptuous (laughs) I personally find it helpful if if it's clear that they've really thought about it I also think, again, going back to the idea of building up relationships, sometimes it is really useful to just say, look, I have lots of really great, interesting people with interesting stories. Here are some bios for some of them. It would be great to chat about whether they would be a good fit for anything that you're doing. I had thought that perhaps X, Y, Z would be a good partnership. Something that shows that you've... um, You've looked into what we do. You're not pitching an idea for a story we've already covered, but that there's some thought behind it. <laughs> Much as we'd like to believe it, we we think what we're doing is special. And we want to think that anybody that's pitching to us thinks it's special too, rather than just we want to get a byline in the, in the times. Yeah, yeah. And what about following up? Should PRs or people in the public follow up on their pitches if they don't get a reply? <laughs> it's really tricky that actually when I was thinking about preparing for this, I got an email the other day with the subject line, one last ping from us. And the email said, Francesca, don't want to make any enemies here. Just writing to see if you'd had time or if you'd missed all my emails. And I was just like, ooh, it's just a bit. But that said, I think if you really believe that you've got an interesting person or a valuable story that your client could tell, I'm not averse to having a follow-up email after a week. But I would say generally, if you've sent a press release um, and you haven't heard back, it it hasn't been read and it's, it's not a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> so before I move on to the, is there anything else you want to add on pitching? Any other, anything else that stands out that you think is worth mentioning? I'd say just specificity. There's nothing wrong with specificity. And I would say my absolute golden rule is, would you want to read the story you're pitching? If it's not interesting to you and it wouldn't be interesting to you outside your day of work, might not be interesting to our readership. Yes, great advice. That is a great way of summing it up. So one thing I want to ask you, because I know that Raconteur's launching a, a new journalist course, a shout out for, for new journalists. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we're really excited about this, actually. Uh, we are always looking to expand our database of journalists. Obviously, relying heavily on freelancers means that we don't necessarily always have the control over who writes for us that we we might like we have to go where the experts are but there is plenty of research to show that the media and journalism is suffering from a huge lack of diversity so you know it's overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly journalists have a higher level degree of education uh, they're very unlikely to have any kind of physical or mental disabilities and it means that the the copy that you get in and the content that you put out doesn't reflect the world at large so we have launched a 12 week free journalism course called the new voices program where we're taking on, we're aiming to take on five wannabe journalists, essentially, people who have a natural ability for writing and a natural interest in business, but for whom journalism has just seemed such a pie in the sky idea, so impossible to break into, or they just simply don't know where to start. So it's really going to be covering the basics. How do you come up with a great idea? How do you pitch? Uh, How do you interview somebody? And how do you make sure that when you're interviewing them, you get the best out of them that you possibly can? So it's really 
we're hoping it's a real fundamentals of business journalism course um, and we're aiming it at anybody from an underrepresented background. That's brilliant, That, especially because it's journalism is so competitive and so badly paid and that's a great initiative. We're very excited about it, yeah. We've got lots of applications in already, open until the 6th of May, so hopefully we'll get lots more in, but yeah. Until the 6th of May, okay, and how can they find out about it? So there is a, a programme ad on our website, on our careers page, um, but it's also on LinkedIn and it'll be all over our social media because we're really trying to make lots of noise about it. That's brilliant. And just finally, is there anything else you want to add about media in general? Any trends you've spotted just either about media or, or journalism? I would say that something that struck me personally recently is how crucial social media is almost throughout the whole process. But it's also an opportunity to lift the curtain a little bit on the, the world of journalism. I follow quite a lot of the journalists that write for us and you can see when they tweet about what it's like to pitch certain editors and what they do and don't like about being contacted by PRs and how they conduct interviews. And I think a lot is said about the negative aspects and the negative impacts of social media. But I personally found it really interesting and very hope inducing that it's managed to provide a little bit of insight into what it's really like to work as a journalist. And it's made it easier for journalists to sort of form a community and support each other. And yeah, I would just say that if anyone is looking to get into media, get their stories in front of people, like you need to be on Twitter. That's where everything is happening. <laughs> Yeah, I say that to clients that Twitter is where you get in front of journalists, but LinkedIn is where you might get in front of potential clients. <laughs> it's, just, it's pretty much the media that use Twitter, isn't it? That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we find we find new journalists through there. We find stories. We find out what people think about things. But yeah, LinkedIn is absolutely crucial, especially for finding the people that we want to be talking to as well, I would say. Yeah. Francesca Cassidy, thanks so much for sharing your insights. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching. <laughs>